Hey, it's Eric Hulkerin, and welcome to another episode of Behind the Headlines. On this episode, we're going to talk to Mark Tower, who covers all of the happenings in Kalamazoo, specifically all of the protests that have been happening. We're going to focus in on what happened in August with the Proud Boys. What eventually transpired was a conflict between those groups uh, that, that turned violent. Uh, there were several uh, fights, I think might be the best way to describe it, that, that broke out between uh, these two groups when, when they converged downtown. Um, the police were not there when that happened. They were uh, standing by at a different location, anticipating the protest to be later. All right, let's jump into another episode. My co-host, as always, Vice President of Content, John Heiner. John, how are you, my friend? I'm excellent, Eric. Thank you for asking. I hope you are well on this first podcast of fall, officially yes. fall. So um, the temperature plummeted this weekend, so um, I realize that my fall plans are probably going to not be as ideal as I planned, but um, it is fall in Michigan, so we got to hurry up. Absolutely. Um, a lot has happened this summer. That was quite a summer in, in Michigan and across the country. And one of the things, of course, has been the civil unrest and calls for, for equity and justice in the wake of the George Floyd killing um, right around uh, Memorial Day, which was the beginning of summer. So that, that kind of marked the beginning of, a, of a, a very tempestuous summer across America and, and here in Michigan, too. And, you know, interestingly, we've had uh, several cities in Michigan that have had consistent um, protests and, and some unrest. One of them, probably not surprisingly, is Detroit, but but one that's been in the news headlines for M Live all summer long and continues to be is Kalamazoo. And so to get to the bottom of some of the the issues that are occurring in Kalamazoo and the discussions that are occurring there on an ongoing basis, both in the community and at the government level is our news leader for Kalamazoo for M Live, Mark Tower. Mark Tower, welcome to Behind the Headlines. Thanks so much, John. Good to be here. It's great to be here too. And one, one thing I can count on every week is um, like a Lions, you know, disappointing headlines out of the Detroit Lions and news headlines out of Kalamazoo that are still related to all the things that began right after the George Floyd protests began. Um, one thing leading to another, and we can get into this here, but a couple of the flashpoints were the protests and a little bit of, you know, violence and damage to the city in the first round of protests. But then in August, activists had been busy all summer in Kalamazoo, uh, you know, with demands for, you know, social justice and, and improvements in police response to the city. And then a group called the Proud Boys, which is somewhat nationalistic group. Um, I don't know if it's fair to call them white nationalists, but they're nationalistic. Well, I think they call themselves like Western chauvinists or something like that. Uh, announced that they were coming to Kalamazoo and they, and there was some you know, back and forth on whether they were actually going to do it, but they did. And they arrived on August 15th. And so that's where, that's where we're going to start our discussion today. But you have overseen our news coverage to all the things that have happened in the wake of this and, and that preceded it. But just for the sake of our listeners, if you could just give an overview of, of what transpired that day and, and you know some of the simmering issues that maybe came to a head that day as well. Yeah, absolutely. I will, I will do my best. Uh, there is a lot to unpack, uh, as you've expressed. Um, and the, the background for August is, it, as you said, there were protests in Kalamazoo and across the country um, in late May and early June in response to George Floyd's death. 
and uh, there were uh, criticisms of the police handling of those protests uh, that I think in the protesters view were, were never fully addressed uh, prior to the August event. Um, but like you said, that's a good place to start. Uh, essentially, the city was aware that a group uh, associated with the Proud Boys was coming for a demonstration on August 15. Uh, the information that was released to the public in advance of that was um, uh, not certain that it was coming. And in fact, I, I will share on, on our side of things, we were not certain. Uh, there have been uh, occasions where things like that have been planned where uh, the event has not actually taken place. Um, but in, in this case, it did. The, the group of Proud Boys arrived in Kalamazoo about uh, 30 minutes ahead of the expected time that, uh, that the police were planning on. Um, and at, at the same time, uh, I, should, I should back up here and, and share that local groups, uh, one involving a pastor of a prominent downtown church and, and others, had planned counter protests, um, essentially to stand and uh, tell this group that they were not welcome here. Um, what eventually transpired was a conflict between those groups uh, that, that turned violent. Uh, there were several uh, fights, I think might be the best way to describe it, that, that broke out between uh, these two groups when, when they converged downtown. Um, the police were not there when that happened, they were uh, standing by at a different location, anticipating the protest to be later. Um, and so what, what has happened ever since then has been a lot of analysis of what happened that day and how the police handled their response to that, um, which has led to calls for the resignation of the police chief, uh, the mayor, the city manager and others, um, and uh, continues to be, to be an issue. In fact, it's funny, as we're having this discussion, John, we're planning for uh, yet another protest in Kalamazoo uh, for tomorrow, in fact. Hmm. So the protests that were happening from late May on or after the George Floyd, and, and we, Eric, you may remember that we had Lindsey Moore and Kayla Miller on and Joel Bissell on a podcast after the protests turned violent and there was damage. People were tear gassed, including uh, our employees and that prompted some uh, complaints and protests about how that was handled. Um, but the protests in the community have been somewhat ongoing ever since then. And has the tenor of this changed a sense of urgency around this? You know, that's a fair question. I wouldn't want to speak for the protesters, uh, but, but I would say uh, the one thing that we have not mentioned is um, about a month, almost exactly a month, in fact, after that, event on August 15, on September 16, the uh, current police chief announced her retirement. Uh, the reasons behind that um, are debatable, I suppose, but uh, I, I would say that the, the protests have somewhat calmed since that event in August. It's been a smaller group that's been gathered in front of the courthouse uh, almost twice a week. In fact, they've set regular times on Wednesday and Saturday that they gather and um, at least talk amongst themselves, if not have a very active demonstration. Um, but that's uh, that's an interesting question, John, because I, I think I would say that things calmed after the uh, protests in June as well. And then uh, we saw what happened in August. So I certainly wouldn't want to predict the future. 
Do they have a list of demands? Is this an organized uh, protest or activist group? And what is it? Okay, they'll take these things one at a time, but <laughs> let me ask you that first, um, because what began as general protests, perhaps over social justice issues and inequity and, and, and maybe the policing issues really took a turn after the Proud Boys and became really focused on the Kalamazoo City and police department or public safety department response or non-response. So that that seemed to become the focus, but is there a, a larger overarching list of demands that this group wants and is it a large organized effort or is it is it somewhat piecemeal? Yeah, yeah yes and no to almost all of those questions. Um, the I would describe it as individuals who um, have formed groups just, just recently. Uh, one of them is called Uplift Kalamazoo. Um, and these aren't established organizations in the community for the most part, they're, they're fairly new. Um, the leaders of these groups tend, tend to be younger in their thirties uh, mostly. Um, and they don't have a clear list of demands, no. Uh, though there have been a few points that have been common throughout this since the very beginning. Um, they, they want better policies from the police department. They want an acknowledgement that uh, change needs to happen. Uh, but if you ask different people, you will get different answers. Um, as we've seen at protests across the country, there, there are some with the rally cry, defund the police, and, and they really mean that. Uh, there are others that are suggesting a more nuanced approach. Um, but I think you hit the nail on the head, John, when, when you said that this has turned from criticism over exactly what happened on those dates to criticism of how the police department and city officials have responded to that criticism. Well, and that's something that you're spending staff time and resources still trying to unravel and get behind the story behind the story on that. There was at least I wouldn't call it, I don't know if it would be called a report, but the city did some kind of review of the police response. And when they came to announce it, it was well, at least some activists and others felt it was a bit of a whitewash and it really lacked in detail. So why don't you tell us what that report said or kind of said and what we're still trying to find out about the, the events of that day. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, John. That That is uh, something that I think the folks on the activist side were hoping when they heard from the city commission that they would be looking into uh, the events of August 15. And I'll share some of this is ongoing. There are still independent probes that have yet to be concluded. Uh, but I think there was a hope that that would be a chance to examine the failures and acknowledge them uh, so that we may move forward. Uh, the preliminary report that uh, actually a subcommittee of the city commission uh, put out uh, didn't do that exactly. It uh, addressed some of the things that went wrong and, and tried to explain uh, wh why the police weren't there when they were expected to be and things like that. Uh, but I think it failed to acknowledge what the protesters saw as, as a true failure of leadership. Um, which, which is why they did not accept it on its face. Well, can I just tell you from a naked eye observer standpoint, like not the head of MLive's news department, but just somebody watching what happened. Number one, 
we were in a powder keg situation ever since the George Floyd death. And we saw how, how violent and not just, you know, Detroit, but other cities across the country. And for what it's worth, I mean, proud boys could call themselves whatever they want, but it's a, there was going to be a certain amount of antagonism that was going to happen if they came to town. And there may have been some um, disagreement about whether they were coming or not, if it was just social media rumors, but I'm just from a logical perspective of somebody who lived in a town and wanted public safety, wouldn't there be a cop car or two waiting around downtown by where the protesters were, the activists, just to see, you know, like, you know, one Adam 12, one Adam 12, <laughs> proud boys are in town, send reinforcements. Um, I don't think we've had a full accounting for what was communicated and what the plan and, and you, you know, there's probably some more stories coming or that I know that we have freedom of information act requests out. So first, you know, your thoughts on that, but second, could you could tell our listeners what M live is still trying to find out and what we're looking into. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it would not be true to say that there were no police in the area where some of these fights broke out. In fact, we, found through some of those Freedom of Information Act requests uh, that uh, there are detailed accountings, reports of, of where officers were, were and how they handled the response. Uh, there was a overwatch group uh, is what they refer to it, uh, essentially meaning surveillance. Um, so officers watching what was happening. Uh, in fact, we published a story based off one of these reports um, from the officer who was on a building uh, above the street level and looking down when the first violence broke out. Um, so we do have some information about that, but we don't, I, I think you're right in saying that we don't have the full picture. Um, there are still more uh, requests that, that are out to be uh, released and uh, also videos that have not been released. The city released uh, some of the body cam uh, images, but but not all of them. Um, but I, I'm glad you brought up the, the point about um, the two groups uh, needing some police presence. I, I think that's what has been expressed by the community uh, the most in response to this. Uh, there were arrests also that occurred that day of counter protesters that have drawn some criticism, but the real focus has been on why the police were not there to uh, be a division between these two groups to, to prevent the violence. Um, so why that didn't happen, why the guy on the building uh, above the street level that um, saw this violence broke out, um, who, who did radio that information to the other officers, why that didn't bring an immediate response, uh, I, I think we're still trying to get to the bottom of. Well, the response that was seen by our readers and viewers on MLive notably was video that our reporter Sam Robinson took and others there were some other journalists there too recording it that looked like an overwhelming police response but the thing that was kind of disjointed that people may not have understand that came out later was it was at the tail end the proud boys were already heading to the parking garage to get in their cars the, the fights and macings had already occurred and all of a sudden this this force this kind of SWAT team type and they're wearing their paramilitary gear and, and, and they're clearing the streets, but the streets were pretty clear at that point. And, and our reporter, Sam Robinson, uh, ultimately got arrested um, while he was videotaping or Facebook living the event. 
but the impression that was left was that there was a police presence. And I think the, the, the just disjointed part for the activists and the thing the community is still struggling with is, is all the issues around the timing of that. And then was that, was that overkill at that point as well, since most of the conflict had already occurred? Yeah, ab absolutely. Uh, there were arrests that occurred, like like we said, uh, they, they were all counter protesters. Um, by, by the time the police were there, um, you're painting that picture very well. The Proud Boys were returning to their vehicles, leaving out the front entrance of the parking garage, uh, which is where our reporter, where Sam was when, when he was arrested. Um, so, so I think you're right that it, it's it's more than the police not being there. I, I think the criticism is also focused on the actions that they did take uh, appeared to be one-sided to a lot of people. There was something I read that I, I found I was curious, not curious in a bad way, just I thought I was curious, is that there were multiple legal observers on the scene, quote unquote, legal observers. Why were they there if there were no pre-existing issues in Kalamazoo? It, it seems like eyes were on what was happening that day. And, and why was that so? And who are these people? And what role do they play in what's happening in Kalamazoo? That's a great question, John. I don't know that I have a great answer to it, uh, but I am encouraged to find one. Um, I, I will share that uh, one one of those legal observers was was also among those who was arrested. Um, he was quite clearly identified as as an observer, uh, and what what he shared was that his his purpose for being there was exactly to keep all those present accountable, the, the police and and the protest groups that were involved. Um, it was helpful for us after the fact to have those people uh, to, to talk to because their role was really just to observe, though once they were arrested, uh, it seems to me they're not really observers anymore, but but part of the part of the event. Mm -hmm. Are there underlying things that are happening in Kalamazoo, I mean, even predating George Floyd, that may make this kind of a ripe time for these things to stay at the surface and it's because it doesn't look like they're going away. There, people aren't marching in the streets by the hundreds, but the questions persist. So what were the conditions in Kalamazoo that led to first the protests that led to some property damage? And, uh, you know, I wouldn't call it violence so much as just the civil unrest, uh, you know, back, back earlier this summer to these persistent questions about the city's, you know, role and in, in, in hearing their community, the fact that, the community is not, some portion of the community is not feeling hurt. So if you could just go a little larger picture on some of the issues in Kalamazoo to, to keep the, these things at the present, at the surface. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think similar to where, what we've seen in other cities across the country, uh, the local protesters in Kalamazoo brought many of the same concerns to the table about our police department specifically. We have a public safety department in Kalamazoo, which is rather unique. They're cross-trained as both firefighters and police, um, but a, a, essentially they're viewed as, as a police department uh, primarily. Um, and what we heard expressed from, from those protesters is that these same issues of inequities, of uh, unequal enforcement of the law, of uh, instances of, of at least claims of brutality against uh, suspects and, and citizens alike um, 
both both came up. It's Kalamazoo is uh, a wonderful place. I am so happy that I found it as a new home. Uh, but I, I think it has become clear to me, if it was not already, that we are not immune from the from the problems uh, of the rest of the world. It's um, very, very similar to what you hear the protesters saying in, in Detroit and Grand Rapids and, and elsewhere across the country. And part of that is not just unequal treatment, but sort of being out of touch with the community and a public safety department that has wears a couple different hats, maybe that that's more of an issue. But do you sense, how much do you sense that even the department, like that the public safety department officers are, live in the city or are, are, you know, committed to the city in any way? Yeah, that's a fair question. I, I don't know uh, where each officer lives. We, we could uh, attempt to ask for that. I, I imagine uh, that there would be some resistance to that. Um, you know, I don't remember, John, at, at some point state law changed and uh, cities were no longer allowed to require officers to uh, comply with residency requirements. I, I know at one point that they could do that. Um, but you raise a good point. Um, where, where does our current chief live? Uh, where, where do the command staff live? Where do the officers live? And are they part of our community or are they a force in our community? Um, I, I think that really does get, get to the heart of um, whether or not they are uh, part of the community, like you said, or um, outside of it. Mm -hmm. You'd mentioned earlier in the conversation, um, pastor's group or pastor, um, do you have, does your staff have regular contact with the, the black community perhaps through these groups and, and hear their concerns? And if so, what, what are you hearing? Yeah, uh, we, we do. So the pastor that I referenced is, is actually white. His uh, name's Nathan Dennison. He's the pastor of, uh, first, uh, congregational church, uh, which is right in downtown Kalamazoo near where many of these protests are occurring. Um, he, he is, uh, strong uh, voice of advocacy for uh, disenfranchised um, and other communities and um, has been a very active participant in uh, city policy discussions over these issues, particularly involving the police in years past uh, and was only recently uh, dismissed from a, well, I, I should not say dismissed. Uh, let me go back and correct myself. He, he was recently not reappointed to a uh, citizen review board that uh, reviews complaints of um, involving the police department. Um, so that has caused some waves that it, it appears as if he's being cut out of the discussion when he's been a voice of opposition largely. Um, but to your, to your other point about the uh, black community in Kalamazoo, I have been uh, one, one bright spot of this has been that we have had a chance to talk to people about their concerns in a way that, uh, you know, maybe we haven't been able to, to do before. Uh, there, there are groups with things to say that are gathering in our downtown uh, that we can go out and talk to. And that has been a real benefit to be able to tell their story as, as well as the, the story of actually what's happening. Has the work of our journalists been more difficult uh, in this climate or is it pretty much more of the same in terms of to trying to get information out of this, out of a police department or, or city leadership? 
I would say it has absolutely become more difficult. I, I think as many journalists could relate to this, when there is controversy, when there is criticism, uh, that puts up walls that, that makes it more difficult to get information. Um, and we have found that. We have uh, had trouble reaching city officials who uh, usually are, are much more accessible. Um, we have had difficulty getting our Freedom of Information Act requests properly considered within the timeline that the law requires. Um, and on top of all that, as, as you well know, John, it, it's a tough job when you're being asked to go out into a very volatile, potentially dangerous situation um, where probably neither side feels like we are their ally, uh, nor should we be. But it, it also makes it difficult when um, you are, you, you need to ingratiate yourself in, in some way to, to be able to talk to people. And uh, that can be difficult to do when people have taken sides and a very firm stance on something. Well, there clearly is more hostility towards the press in America. There have been uh, almost a thousand documented attacks on journalists since the George Floyd protests began, lots of arrests. We've had um, a photographer of ours who was assaulted by police. We had a reporter arrested doing his job. So you're right. And it's kind of right now, not everyone's tapped like no one's happy to see us. Uh, there's, there's just a lot of tension in all these dynamics. Um, one interesting thing, if you say that the, you know, the officials, government officials, police or city are being more defensive or thin skinned about things. It, we're, you know, in the older era, we used to have uh, editorials we'd write every day on our editorial page where we would go after in these situations and be very critical. And that, that element's not even there anymore. And they're already, they're still being, um, defensive and, and shutting down and not responding and been not being responsive to our questions. And really it's not just us because the thing to remember about journalists is we ask the questions for the community. We represent the communities a bit, you know, the community doesn't have the access that we typically have. And now we're not getting that access. We represent the community. So I think that's, that's a, to the detriment of an entire community when government officials won't answer questions, especially after high profile incidents like the ones that have happened in Kalamazoo. I think that's just gonna to lead to more questions. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, John. And that, that is one thing that I'm happy that uh, myself and, and all of our journalists can, can bring in our hand when we're asking for those answers is that this is not for us, this, this is for the public. We, we truly want to tell this story to inform and, and put context around what's happening and hopefully help us uh, find ways to eliminate divisions and, and uh, build a better future together. What officially what is being said for, by the city about what investigations or reports are, are pending? What is still being looked into? What can people expect to get some accounting for whether or not we're the ones who can push forward or not? So what should we expect uh, to be coming? And you said there's another protest plan. So it's not like this is going away. Yeah, that's very true, John. There's uh, at, at least one uh, comprehensive review that's still coming that takes into account both the events of uh, late May and early June that came under criticism as, as well as the uh, August 15 event that we focused on here. Uh, that is to be done by a third party, an outside uh, investigator. Uh, I believe where we stand on that process is that we're waiting for proposals uh, to be approved. 
uh, and then we'll get started on that. So I, I, they have not given a clear timeline of when to expect that, but I, I imagine that it will be weeks, weeks or months. Um, and on your other point, you're, you're absolutely right. The, the protesters are, are not going away, though perhaps the crowds have not been as large as they were in early June or, or even in August. Uh, they still are holding twice weekly protests, at least through the end of the month. Um, and we are expecting one uh, on, on Wednesday uh, this week to, to cover. Um, so we will certainly do our best to uh, inform our readers about what happens there and continue to follow up in all aspects. So what about the Proud Boys? Was that just a one-time drop a M80 in a trash can type event? Or was this a local-based group or somebody from the, the local area who, was, who wanted to be a part of the larger dynamic, uh, the back and forth over these issues? Or was it just a drive-by? Yeah, that's a very good question. I hesitate to predict whether or not they'll be back or, or another uh, group might be back to Kalamazoo. Um, we did speak to one of the organizers uh, for a follow-up story recently um, who is from Michigan. Um, we also have heard information uh, that many of those who came up to Kalamazoo were from out of state, notably uh, in Indiana, which is not far from us here in Kalamazoo. Um, it's been difficult to pin that down because um, one thing we didn't mention during that scene uh, when the group of Proud Boys were leaving the parking garage. Uh, many who were witnessing that, including our reporter, noted that license plates had been removed from the vehicles. Mm -hmm. uh, it's another reason that police have been uh, faced criticism is, is that they did not uh, enact any enforcement there for the lack of license plates. Um, so it's difficult to say for sure where everyone is from, but I, we, we have gotten the sense that they were not entirely local. Will they come again? I guess time will tell, uh, but as you point out, the conflict here, the, the issue has not gone away. Um, so I, I expect that this will not be the last story that we tell you about Kalamazoo. Yeah, Mark, and that was gonna be my last question for you was, what's MLive have planned? What do you have your team still looking into for the sake of our readers? And we don't know how this ends, but but what are we still trying to, to what stories are we trying to tell? Yeah, absolutely. So. Aside from continued coverage of what happens um, out there in the community, uh, as we discussed, there are uh, Freedom of Information Act requests still out for documents and other media um, that we will, of, of course, analyze and, and decide what, what best to do to communicate that information. Um, and of course, we will continue to um, hold the city commission and the other city officials accountable as they continue looking back at what happened as well as looking forward about what they wanna change. Um, one interesting side note, a fairly major piece of news in, in normal times is uh, occurring this week as there's a transfer of leadership at, at the Department of Public Safety. Mm -hmm. uh, as I mentioned, the current chief has announced a retirement uh, that will become effective on October 1st. And uh, one of the assistant chiefs who uh, has been involved in many of these events will be taking over as chief at that time. And I think this is relevant in this day and age, but isn't the assistant chief an African-American man? He is, yeah. Vernon, Vernon Coakley, uh, veteran of the department. He's African-American, um, has many connections to the community. Um, and since the announcement that, that he would uh, succeed Carrie Ann, there, there will not be a, a national search or any other 
sort of formal hiring process. He, he has essentially just been appointed to, to take her place. Um, but we've heard many positive things from city leaders about their desire to work with uh, work with Chief Coakley in his new role, um, as well as from some of the protesters. Um, of, of course, we'll continue to talk to, to them and, and the others that are invested in this in the community and, and continue to, to provide that coverage. Well, Mark, you and your team are doing very important work. I, I think Kalamazoo, I really don't think Kalamazoo stands alone. I, I think it's representative of what's happening across our state and country. Just happens to be in the headlines in Kalamazoo. And as always, we go behind the headlines here at M Live. Mark Tower, thank you for being our guest today. Really appreciate the conversation and we'll watch for some more great coverage out of Kalamazoo. Thank you so much, John. I appreciate it as well. And there they go. As always, thank you to John Heiner for joining us on this episode. And of course, Mark Tower for covering the events happening in Kalamazoo. If you like what we're doing here, you can do a couple things. You can put it into a playlist on Spotify. And if you like it, like it and share it from wherever you get your podcasts. As always, I am Eric Halkren. He is John Heiner. And this is Behind the Headlines.